This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Thursday Night Podcast, coming to you a day early this week. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today we're going to be talking about Georgia State's big rivalry win down south over Georgia Southern and previewing their quick turnaround this Thursday at a number 24 ranked Louisiana. We'll also get you set for men's basketball action this coming Friday and Tuesday and tackle some listener questions at the end. But first, let's go ahead and get right into it. Football winning 21 to 14 at Georgia Southern on Saturday in Paulson Stadium. It was a hard fought contest the whole way, but Georgia State came out on top when Jamias Williams scored a 23 yard rushing touchdown with 26 seconds remaining in the game. Southern got one crack at the end zone with two seconds remaining, but a host of Panthers met quarterback Justin Tomlin immediately for a game ending sack, which sealed the rivalry win. Gentlemen, I know uh, Brady and I were in person at Paulson Stadium. David, I know you were watching from afar. What are your thoughts about this game? First, I want to shout out the Sun Belt. Um, you know, Georgia State gets absolutely zero time to celebrate this win. And, you know, they go immediately to Louisiana this week. But we'll obviously get to that. Um, this game was kind of weird because... In some ways, I kind of felt like this game was like 2015, but in other ways, I also felt like there was nothing to really worry about with this one. I can't say that there was any moment where it seemed like Georgia State was ever out of it completely until like the, I don't even want to say until the end there because they just had to play. They had one, they needed to get one defensive drive to, you know, kind of seal the deal, but it really felt just like, Southern was using all of the tools in their tool bag and Georgia state just needed to kind of settle down, settle in and, you know, actually do something with the opportunities that they were given. And that's kind of exactly what happened in the fourth quarter. And it was, you know, a good, good win for the Panthers. And, you know, hopefully they can keep that going forward. Yeah. I was reminded of the 2017 game in Paulson with, Georgia Southern, where Georgia State ended up winning that game 21-17, and it was one where Southern led most of the way. And in the second half, and in that game, it was right at the end of the third quarter, they got a touchdown, and then in the final two minutes or so, they got the game-winning touchdown. Shout out Penny Hart, great catch at the back of the end zone. And this game felt similar in that Georgia Southern was playing better for most of it, especially the first half. The thing that was saving Georgia State in the first half was the defense got an interception in the red zone and they came up with a really big fourth down stop inside the five. You know, it could have easily been something like a 21 nothing game or 17 nothing game at halftime with the offense really not giving the defense any kind of help and the defense not really helping themselves until they got backed up like that. They came up with some big plays, but you know, the passing game for Georgia Southern was way too effective for how good it actually is and in the first half i should just say they, they did clean that up in the second half and in the second half also the offense got going started to get some holes opening up in the run game more throws started getting made by darren granger in the past game and they scored uh it's the first like walk-off touchdown like that or game winner the georgia states had since i think the kennesaw game uh, back in 2018 it's not a type of win george states had very often so in that respect it was an exciting thing to be there and see that type of thing excited for jam they had a game-winning touchdown like that i think he said post game that is the first one that he had had 
or if it wasn't, it was the best one, something like that. So, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think that the level of competition the past three weeks was what it was in non-conference. And part of that's why Georgia State won all three. But the bottom line is we said to get back on track, they have to win at ULM at home versus Texas State and on the road at Georgia Southern. And they did all that. They're back at four and four, looking at the November slate and come what may at this point. Absolutely. You know, I want to go back to that point that you made about the kind of the passing game for Georgia Southern. Um, I want to give Georgia Southern a lot of credit. Um, and I kind of want to chide Georgia State a little bit uh, because I don't know about your vantage point there, but it just seemed like they were missing tackles left and right. Um, and I actually counted when I rewatched the game and they missed 24 tackles and it wasn't just on passing plays. I think there was a couple of blown coverages. Um, I think like the, there was a 46 yard play uh, that Jalen Jones missed. Um and, you know, there's just a couple of other guys that were kind of out of position. But it seemed to me that both on some of the bigger runs for Georgia Southern and some of the bigger passing plays that just Georgia State decided to not wrap up well or, you know, they were facing guys who were bigger than them. And that's not something that I can say that I've seen too much this year. So I don't want to say that I'm worried about it, but that was definitely something that I myself noticed. And, you know, I'm sure coaches noticed and mentioned it this week. Yeah, I don't. There were a couple other instances where it was guys looking to strip the ball, and because they were going for the ball and they weren't looking at really wrapping up or taking to the ground, the the running backs or receivers, whoever it was, just kept moving their feet, and so they got some extra yardage. And there were a couple that were just you know arm tackles that guys shed, and yeah, like you said, there was one that I remember example of. Um, I don't remember which part of the game, but it was Gerald Green took a run around the edge. It was like a second and nine, second and eight. And I could look up the box to confirm this, but it should have been stopped for a pretty small gain, if not like no gain. And he just kept shedding tackles, kept going to the edge and he got a first down run out of it. And he got 10 yards on the run and picked up the first down. And it's stuff that, like you say, we haven't really seen tackling like that been an issue for this team. So I'm also not pushing the alarm button on it. I will see what happens in the coming games. Uh, as far as that goes, but certainly that gave Georgia Southern some more opportunities. And I guess it was, you know, it was a a weird game because I like George, like I said, Georgia Southern shouldn't have been able to pass the ball like that. And Georgia state really did contain their rushing attack, but for a few of those long runs that, you know, brought the averages up and yeah, it's definitely not the way that I saw the game playing for the the game plan for Georgia Southern offensively and what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. But the second half, I thought a lot of adjustments got made. The passing game for Georgia Southern was a lot less effective. And I think it's also because situationally, Georgia State started getting Georgia Southern off schedule. And so it was obvious passing downs and Georgia State was ready for the passing play. Whereas I think in the first half, there were times where Southern caught Georgia State out really keying in on the run and throwing over their heads with it or catching them in a zone, whatever it might be. And it's discouraging to see that because if Georgia Southern's having effective passing, it even, even halves at a time on you, it doesn't build well for when you've got to play Louisiana this week and coast of the week after uh, and Arkansas state, even who's had a poor season, but it's not been a poor season as far as passing the ball for them. So definitely something where, you're going to have to make sure you get that sorted out because the teams you've got left on your schedule are capable of seeing what Georgia Southern was able to do effectively and work some of those same type of actions in their offense in and hurt you that way. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask just kind of your take specifically, because I look at kind of Darren's performance and I can't tell if it's a bad performance because the numbers are so low or if it was a bad performance and Georgia state just kind of utilized different things to kind of mitigate what it looks like. Cause if you like, if you look at the numbers, he was 16 for 27 for 141 yards and he added 10 rushes for 31 yards, including on the final drive, he had like two rushes for like 12 and 15 yards or something like that. Um, so he, he really did. didn't. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's not like he got going really until that fourth quarter, but what would you say that you kind of felt his performance was? Yeah. I mean, you look at the raw numbers, like I do think it was a good performance at the end of the day. The thing for me was that early on he was missing some throws that would have been big plays. And even there was one throw to Sam in the fourth quarter that was a little short and when I saw it on replay what I hadn't noticed live was that he got hit or at least there was a guy in his he couldn't really step into the throw and so even looking back when I was had that in my mind I looked at it on replay I was like actually I don't really give him fault for that because he couldn't step into the throw and if he does it's probably a touchdown to Sam but there was a throw to thrash where you know you want to talk about busted coverages nobody from Southern was on the back of Jamari Thrash there. He had the entire, you know, 40 yard field to go if he just has a throw on the money and no one's going to catch him. It would have been an easy touchdown. And, you know, it's the second week in a row where Jamari is going to be looking at Darren and be like, look, you got to give me this touchdown, man. I was open for you. Uh, but I think that he, he cleaned it up in the second half. He got a couple of big throws to Roger Carter that set up touchdowns. And again, shout out Roger Carter. Just he always finds himself open on those wheel routes or on those routes where the tight end leaks out like him and Aubrey are both very effective in the passing game. But I think that's something that he really excels at. And every year we see a couple of those plays where Roger just finds himself wide open running down the sideline. And it happened there in really key spots for Georgia State. But, you know, on balance, I I think it's more just that Darren could have had a much better day. But at the end of the day, he didn't turn it over once. The two sacks that he took weren't really on him. One of them was a coverage sack, and the other one guy came with pressure on the left side, and he just didn't have time at all to get out and escape. And so sometimes you can blame quarterbacks for sacks, and I don't think that was the case with those two. And so... And like you say, the two scrambles were really big. I Georgia Southern decided that he wasn't a running threat for some reason, didn't get a spy going for him there on the final drive. And that's reading the scouting report. Absolutely is. Which it's tough in the moment. Cause I think after the first one, they probably would, they would have gone, okay, we got to account for him, but you can't put a spy on someone when you're under a minute to go. And the other team's running, no huddle getting the line. Like it's impossible to do that kind of adjustment on the fly, but uh, you know, Georgia state thanks them for their service for not being ready for that. But I, the other thing that I wanted to say about that drive, you know, while we're we've moved on to that, is that I just, it's hilarious what that drive ended up being when it's a minute and a half tie game. You need a field goal. You think it's going to be one of those things where Georgia State has guys go to the sideline and just sit on the sideline, you know, eight yards here, or 12 yards here. And literally only one ended up being a pass play. Now, the two scrambles that Darren had were he dropped back first and then scrambled. But I just think it's funny that on the seven play, 73 yard drive that only took a minute six, six of the plays were running plays. And I feel like that's just this Georgia State offense to a T is that even 
with time a little bit against them, even though minute and a half is a, an eternity in college football. I just think it's funny that, yeah, we're still going to run the ball, and that's exactly what they did. I did appreciate Coach's post-game comments. Um, he kind of hearkened back to that 2019 game against Texas State where they were way too conservative and they had an opportunity to win the game in regulation. And he kind of just – some I can't remember who he said asked him about it, but he said – someone looked – I think it was uh, offensive coordinator Glenn. Glenn. Yeah, yeah. He, in the headset, he was like, what do you want to do? He's like, we're going to win this thing. Yeah, they asked him, you know, what are we going to do? He's like, we're we're going, we're getting out of here. And I really, I really appreciated that because they were moving the ball really well in the fourth quarter. I think the game was kind of weird because I felt like Georgia State's offense didn't really do a ton in the first three quarters. And I obviously want to credit Georgia Southern's defense. Um, I want to credit and give my personal well wishes to Tyler Bride. Um, I think he did a really good job of shutting down the Panthers, uh, kind of the receiving weapons. And it was really unfortunate that he got hurt. Um, you know, all the best to him and his recovery and whatever his injuries are. Um, and I feel like Georgia State took advantage of that and they finally got the ball moving. But it wasn't really until the fourth quarter did we see the tried and true Georgia State offense that we've seen the last few weeks. Yeah, and it, I think whenever we do the postmortem on the Coach Elliott era, whenever you know a coaching change happens, we're looking back. I don't think that Texas State loss in 2019 is going to move much further from the top of the list as far as most frustrating losses because you had every opportunity to win that game. And because, you know, it's funny because that game, the problem was in 15 seconds left, no timeouts, they ran the ball and they probably should have passed it. But in this case, I think the idea might have been yeah, we're going to run the ball to maybe set up a field goal, but we're also okay. Like, it didn't feel like punting, waiting for a field goal. Like, and I thought that was good. I didn't necessarily, like, I know that the play there statistically is you play conservative, you give your kicker a chance to win the game, but even though Noel is a great kicker and you trust him from that range where Darren got them to, I just still think getting the touchdown there and just leaving it in your hands on the offense, which you're just, you should want to lean on your offense. I mean, I know that's not necessarily the analytic play. I feel like this, the play by the numbers is you look for the field goal, but I just think in the situation, the fact that it didn't seem like, I think they ran a, a run play and I think they had timeouts. And even if he doesn't get a touchdown there, I think they burn a timeout and still look for the end zone. The next play, it didn't give me the impression that they were just going to leave it on Noel's boot. And I'm okay with that. And it got dicey. You know, Georgia Southern did get the ball back and had a, a fair chance at winning the, or tying the game there at the end of regulation. But I still think playing for the touchdown there was the right play. Yeah. I don't know what the analytics say, but I think part of why, you know, you were able to be as aggressive on the last drive that Southern had and, you know, kind of blitz to end the game was because Southern needed a touchdown, you know, like maybe the numbers do say you kick the field goal, but I think getting the touchdown absolutely allows you to engage eight on the very last play because, you know, any sort of completion or whatever right there and Southern can just easily tie the game and go for overtime. So you know, and, or go and, for the win. I honestly right. believe if they get that touchdown, they go for the two point conversion. Yeah, I, I and nobody I, wants to deal with that stress. Honestly, I did think when they were moving the ball a little bit on that play, I was like, they're definitely going to go for the two points here. They're at home. There's no reason not to. You're already two and five. Like, what are you, what are we really playing for? And you know, you brought up the engage eight, whatever 
blitz that ended up being like i don't know that they caught them off guard with it necessarily but they definitely seemed a little bit just not at all ready for georgia state bringing the house and you know especially as georgia state had been playing kind of softer defense and it let georgia southern make some plays to get down to just outside the 20 yard line you didn't necessarily go well don't do it again you like i don't know that i expected them to just sit in zones but i i think it was the right play to to make the pass the non-passing team the traditionally not that interested in passing the ball team make a pocket passer type play with the game on the line and so I, I agreed with it. I thought it was executed perfectly. I think technically Deshaun Taylor got credit for the sack, but on review, I feel like Ja'Cory Crawford might have actually been the one to get the sack or Blake Carroll's in there too. Did Taylor touch him? I don't think he did. He did at the end. Okay. because I, I don't think he brought him to the ground. I saw it you know, too, and I saw that he got credit for it, and I was like, okay, like, you know, he kind of leaves the scrum that was right there, but, you know, kind of looking at it again, when I saw the play, I was like, I'm not too sure that, like, it looked like Tomlin was already on the ground before Taylor touched him. They, so, the thing is, is, I think all of them would have gotten a sack if any of the other ones were, like, you know what I mean? Like, Taylor was in position there to get a sack. He just wasn't as fast as Corey Crawford. You timed the snap count perfectly. Almost went off sides. There's a little bit of a stutter right there, but he didn't do that. Definitely almost no. did. Um, and got home. And I, I, I think that, you know, in those moments, like it's from the 20 yard line. So it's not an inconceivable throw to make. Like when you're at midfield, sometimes the quarterback doesn't even get to the end zone with the throw or even further back from that. And so I think the fact that they didn't even get a throw off was really important because anything can happen because anyone who's out in the route could be in the end zone by the time that throw comes and it could just tip up in the air. And you like to think that you teach your guys well in those situations to bat it down and just always bat it down. Just hit it right into the ground. Just don't even try and be the hero who gets the interception. Um, I, it felt really important just for. Because. Of course, that's how it happens, you know, in that game where you take a late lead and you just want to escape with a win. The ball bats up like three times in the air and falls in the hands of the guy at the back of the end zone. They go for two. They draw out some perfect, like kind of like the first touchdown, like maybe like a throwback play and catch you out of the win 22, 21. And you're just kind of sitting there holding the bag and being like, well, how did that happen? Uh, none of that's how it played out. Um, and yeah, we just went through all of the reasons why maybe it was horrifying to not play for the field goal but i just i don't know as much as i trust noel Ruiz, and i do and i think they were already within his range i just it didn't feel in the moment like playing for the field goal would have been the thing even if it's like this the smart thing to do and i'm all about being smart and playing football but <laughs> i i don't know i i guess i digress to say you got the win you needed to it's definitely part of the lore of the series now, which I guess we're still to be determined if it's a rivalry. We'll see what the new coach has to say. Uh, but like getting a walk-off touchdown against the rival, like that's fun. Like it, at the end of the day, you'd rather have won that game 34-7 like we've maybe seen before, but getting a win like that still feels good. Better team brought home the dub and could continue forward uh, in a potential Sunbelt title race, which is still fun yeah. to say. Still technically. And also just if you dropped a three and five there and you've got the back-to-back -back possible ranked games coming up and you know you can only lose one more game or else lose bowl eligibility, like that would just be such a disheartening thing 
happened and now you're still on schedule you've still got these games coming up that if you want to make life easy for yourself or you want to you know win the sunbelt east which is still in play you've got to win one or both of them for that but you don't have to win now an upset or you're not going to a bowl game you know it gets you in a position where you're still in striking existence you've still got your goals in front of you and you're not necessarily going in panicking. And I think that was the the thing that this month was about was, you know, I think the app game could have gone better even in the moment. I, you know, it was a game for about two quarters and a half and then it stopped being one about halfway through the third quarter. But after that game, you're, you're at one and four and the biggest thing you can do there is hit the panic button, worry and, the team kind of stuck with it and they had to grit out a couple of these wins, but they're sitting here at four and four now, which, you know, given everything isn't a bad record to be at. And I think there's still stuff they can clean up as they go into this next month. And, you know, frankly, they're going to have to, they're going to have to clean some stuff up because if they play the same way they did against Georgia Southern or even against Texas state, they're not going to beat Louisiana or they're not going to be coastal. Just not going to happen. Okay, so moving on to Louisiana, number 24 ranked Louisiana in the AP poll, Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. As I said before, Raging Cajuns are ranked in the AP poll number 24 and sit at 7-1 and one on the year, led by Billy Napier, who's 35-12 and 12 in his fourth season in Lafayette. Quarterback Levi Lewis is the senior leader of the offense. He's got 11 touchdowns and three interceptions in 2021, while averaging 206 passing yards a game. Spark in their running game is led by Chris Smith and Montrell Johnson with 621 and 512 rushing yards, respectively, and 15 combined touchdowns. This would be another chance for Georgia State to get their first ranked win in program history, their third shot of the 2021 season. So, gentlemen, the Rage and Cajuns, how are we feeling? feel weird, um, and I don't want to feel weird because you look at Louisiana's record, you know, they're seven and one, the one being their season opening loss to Texas. And then it's a whole bunch of wins. Um, You know, we can sit here and kind of talk about some of the competition and how some of those wins played out. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Um, And, you know, I think for me coming into this season, one of the quarterbacks who I saw kind of being an all world, all sunbelt, all, you know, national quarterback or whatever was Levi Lewis. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been good. I don't want to say that he's not been good because, you know, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. That's good. Um, I just think that he hasn't been as good, I guess, as I expected him to be. Um, and I guess my question my question for this game is which Lewis is Georgia State going to force to come out? Because if we get, you know, scrambling Lewis, the guy who's throwing all over and running all over, you know, especially with those two running backs that Louisiana has, it's going to be a long Thursday. But if they can get Lewis to be a little bit wild, if they can kind of contain the backs and, you know, kind of keep the ball themselves and be efficient with their opportunities. It could be another one of those games where Louisiana is like, you know, kind of barely eking out a win. Um, you know, we, Georgia state just beat Georgia Southern 21, 14, but Louisiana was supposedly the top dog. They beat Georgia Southern 28, 20, you know, I think South Alabama is better than Georgia Southern. Obviously South Alabama lost to Louisiana 20 to 18. 
Um, you know, they Louisiana kind of dominated that game against App, and it kind of brought up some questions about, you know, both of their competition levels. But, you know, then the next week it was a 28-27 win against Arkansas State. So, you know, I think that the potential for Georgia State to be really competitive in this game is definitely there. It's just going to depend on which Louisiana offense kind of shows up. Yeah, they're definitely a very confusing team, and that's speaking as a Georgia State podcast where the 2021 Georgia State Panthers have been just entirely confusing and (laughs) up and down. And so I guess we can speak from authority on that. Uh, But I just say that (laughs) because like you talked about, the Georgia Southern, they only beat by eight, who it's a team that given where both those teams are, it should be a more comfortable win, even though it's on the road. South Alabama kind of gave that game away. They had multiple chances inside the red zone to win the game, take the lead. And one of them, they just completely messed it up with a, a fourth down conversion that just went horribly wrong. And then they missed a field goal with a minute left that would have given them the lead. And then they barely beat their FCS opponent, Nichols, uh, 27-24. And Nichols isn't bad, but again, when you're talking about the team that could clinch the Sunbelt West with a win in this game Thursday, you probably think that they're not necessarily playing down to those levels. And I guess where I get to with that is, I don't think that Louisiana has played up to their abilities in some games and it hasn't cost them. And so if it's a situation where they, you know, to put it politely, if they F around, it might be the first time they, they find out, you know, and Georgia state has the talent to play with them and has played with them a lot. And that's maybe the most frustrating thing about the fact that Georgia state hasn't beaten you Louisiana Lafayette is a lot of these losses are close. You know, I guess this is the all time with some of the way that the margins of victories have been with App State and how Georgia State hasn't beaten App State. It's not the same margin of victories for Louisiana. There was, I think, a two point loss in 2015 with the the uh, fake punt that was probably a bad idea. Um, shout out, Will Lutz. Not your fault. Hopefully. I still want to know why. I, I, it's been six years and I still want to know why. And then there was another game, I think 2014, it was in Cajun Field, and Marcus Caffey, uh, shout out Marcus Caffey, had a random time where he moved back to running back after coming to Georgia State as a cornerback and had the three-touchdown game, which I believe still is a tie for the school record, uh, but lost that one. Lost last year in overtime in a game that Georgia State for sure could have had. It really was up in the air up to the end, and they led to start that game, and so it's not been a team that... Georgia State has just been handled by even in years where Georgia State should have been, quote unquote. And this year, I don't necessarily think like I think Georgia State can play on the level with Louisiana. I think they're going to have to not miss on those passes in the passing game when Darren has those opportunities. I think the throws are going to have to be there. I was encouraged to see so much Sam Pinckney early. It seems like we're getting closer to closer to seeing Sam back at 100 percent and Coach Elliott said as much this week that he is as close to 100% as he has been since he's been dealing with this hamstring injury. Um, So he's another, if he continues to be back in as an option and the coaching staff continues to get the ball his direction, that's only a positive. And yeah, I, I guess, like you said, Levi Lewis is a guy that I think if you give him some open receivers and you don't get any pressure in his face, he can pick you apart. 
He's also a guy that can make the deep throw. You know, there's a coverage bust and a guy's wide open, and they definitely like to have some big plays in their passing game that help set up the run a little bit. And so I don't know. It's not like a situation like Arkansas State where they're looking to throw it all the time, but it's also not a situation like Georgia Southern where it surprised you how much they were trying to throw the ball. It's somewhere in the middle where they are run first, but they're still going to trust their quarterback to make throws, and they're still going to pass in some running situations to catch you out. And so, yeah, that's maybe the biggest thing for me is just the passing defense is going to have to be there. And in tandem with that, going to have to get home and actually get some sacks or pressure some throws because the thing that cost you against Louisiana last year was a few instances where you got good pressure, you got in the backfield, and Levi Lewis escaped it and found an open receiver doing a scramble drill. And so that's what you got to avoid. We'll see on how it being on a Thursday matters. Both teams are having to deal with that, so it, uh, it seems like it'll be a wash at least to most of a degree, you know, Georgia state is the road team in both these games and Louisiana isn't having to travel anywhere. So I guess we can't rule out there being an impact, but Georgia state is going to have to say it's not going to be an impact if they want to win this game, because this is probably the toughest stretch just in sheer physical and mental drain. They're going to have to go through playing these two games this close together. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, I guess my one point that I want to come across is, you know, with Georgia state, we're talking about like the 16th best rushing offense in the country. Um, this is going to be Texas or not Texas. Excuse me. This is going to be Louisiana's like second hardest game against the top rushing team. They already faced Georgia Southern, which is a little bit better of a rushing team than Georgia state is. Um, and Southern put up 278 yards on the ground against them. Georgia State can obviously pass much better than Georgia Southern can, despite last week. So if it's a situation where Georgia State is encroaching on 300 rushing yards against Louisiana, it's going to not be a great situation for them unless Lewis is just on it and their offense is just scoring on every single drive that they have. I'm not saying that Georgia State is going to be, you know, this dominant team uh, and, you know, and convert all of those opportunities into touchdowns, you know, but, you know, we've talked about Georgia state's red zone success, you know, a lot this year, they have not scored when they've been in the red zone once. And that was on the muffed punt, not the muffed punt, excuse me, the muffed field goal with the high snap against Texas state. That's incredible. And it's not just that they're scoring a lot of those play. A lot of times when they get into the red zone, they're getting touchdowns. It's not like they're just kicking field goals, you know? So if it's a situation where Georgia state is running all over Louisiana, there it's probably going to be a high scoring game. If that's the case, Louisiana is going to have to find a way to keep Georgia state from, you know, getting into the upper two hundreds in terms of yards on the ground. Hey, I know the other side of that. I think that Georgia State's still in the back half. If you look at just raw rushing yardage allowed just per game basis, but they're allowing less than four yards a rush, which is good. Not great. You know, Troy is somewhere in the twos leading the conference, and that is outstanding. And so you aspire to be that good. But I think more often than not, Georgia State has shown themselves to be a solid rush defense. And like, look, if that isn't happening against what Louisiana has to offer, then we're not going to be talking about a game because if Louisiana is able to do what they want running the ball, that's going to dictate a lot of what happens. And so 
that's almost got to be a given from Georgia State's perspective. But I think it can be. I, I think that you've got to watch, you know, gap fit and all that because Louisiana's got those guys that when they hit a hole, kind of like what Georgia State can have at times, that could be it. And so definitely top line speed to watch out for with Louisiana. Explosive plays can come from the running backs and you just got to make sure you play your assignment. Would be interested to see if we see some defensive schematic stuff, kind of like with Auburn, where I mean, like Blake Harrell and Jordan Venzia were just plowing down hard in the run game all day and affecting what was and has since that game remained a very good Auburn rushing attack. I think maybe that's the way. Yeah, Auburn kind of scuffled their run game, and you know, after facing Georgia State, it, it finally got unlocked. Like I believe, like the, in the last couple of weeks, was their um, first time getting back over. Like, uh, let's see, against Georgia State, they had 166 yards. Um, so yeah, I mean, they were like really, really good, elite, top five before they faced Georgia State, and they've only hit over 200 last week. So you know, Georgia State broke Auburn. <laughs> But you're right about the Louisiana point. You know, if they can but keep unbroke Bo Nix, by the way, who has been incredible after being unplayable against Georgia State. So, you know, as if Bo Nix beats Alabama, that'll be something to go look back at and be like, look, you're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if Georgia State is able to keep Louisiana from getting four yards a carry, that helps them so much because then, you know, you're forcing Lewis to, you know, kind of beat you through the air. And you know, I, I think it's interesting if you extract, you can't necessarily do this, but if you extrapolate Granger's uh, pass attempts out to the same amount of pass attempts that Lewis has had, he's actually been better by uh, about 100 ish, 100, 200 yards. Um, so I, I kind of put that into perspective when you think about the two quarterbacks, because I think Granger has definitely left a lot of passes on the table. Um, you know, obviously I haven't been able to watch every single Louisiana game this year. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting for me anyway to think about, because I, like I said, coming into the season, I thought, you know, Lewis was going to be one of those runaway favorites to win the, you know, offensive player of the year in the Sun Belt, And it was going to be a two man race between him and McCall. And, you know, while he's been good, I just don't think he has been, you know, as I expected him to be. And I guess we're talking about quarterback, so we should probably address the elephant wearing a number four jersey in the room. Uh, Cornelius Quad Brown has entered the transfer portal is not going to be in the Georgia State program anymore. You know, we wish him the best of luck in wherever his travels take him, wherever he ends up. And I think we all believe he will end up as a starting quarterback on a team at some level and remains to be seen where that is. But, you know, it's not how we saw it play out. And I'm furiously, as we record this podcast, deleting my quarterback preview where all I talked about was Quad Brown. But I, I, the, I think it was just a disappointing start. I don't know that it was all on Quad. Like, I think... The offense in general just wasn't firing on all cylinders to start the year. And it just reached a point where Darren Granger was offering the best chance to win. And that still remains the case uh, with what he's offering in the run game and how he has kept the ball out of harm's way in a way that, you know, Quad could never really do. He even last year and all the success that he had throwing the ball, there were still a lot of interceptions and just risky throws. And Darren doesn't have that. You can tell that Coach Elliott and Coach Glenn just like having a quarterback that can run and is comfortable running and looks to do it. And quad's never really been that guy. And so I think it just, he lost his starter's job. He didn't necessarily see the fit as he once did. And 
this is just the nature of college football now with its quarterbacks, especially the transfer portal is there. There's so many years where every team needs a quarterback. So there's going to be an opportunity out there where someone's going to look for a starter. And, you know, as far as Georgia state goes, the rest of the season, you're going to have the two scholarship options in Darren and McKeely Colasurdo. And uh, from there, I, I think we, even before this draft, we probably expect there to be at least one or two quarterbacks coming into the program this off season. I think that's, you know, for sure guaranteed now. And so very too soon to say who the 2022 starter will be when Georgia state walks out of the tunnel against South Carolina. But I, you know, it's a bummer because the quest for the four-year quarterback continues, but I just think the circumstances dictated that Darren was the guy. And given that that's how it played out, quad made the decision he made. And that's absolutely his right to make. You know, honestly, like just looking at, you know, kind of our notes for this, I didn't even think that we were going to mention it, but it does make sense to, um, I can personally say that I'm disappointed, not because I think that it was the wrong decision, but kind of, you know, all off season, we kind of held our hat on or hang our hats is the expression um, on the fact that like there was a real opportunity for quad to take that next step um, that we've seen, you know, so many guys make. Uh, and, you know, it was it was really exciting that, you know, you had a young quarterback who, you know, showed signs and, you know, kind of was working through things. And by the end of the season, really really, you know, put himself at the forefront of something that Georgia State has never had before. Last week, I, I went back and watched the Southern game from last year. And, you know, kind of those two scoring drives that, you know, he led like late in the game. I mean, those were the that quarterback was not the quarterback that played for Georgia State in 2021, uh, which is unfortunate. That is very unfortunate. And, you know, I think if he can find that again, whoever picks him up is getting a hell of a quarterback. Um, you know, even with the interceptions, I, I don't even want to say he's a gunslinger, even though sometimes he can be. Um, I, somebody is going to get a really good quarterback if they can just figure out how to get him back to the end of 2020 quad. Um, but and you know, it might also just be a factor of the system. Like, correct. and, you know, there's going to be a quarterback system out there for him where he maybe is going to be look, looked to throw the ball more and not necessarily have to be designed running it. But because, I mean, we saw Quad at times scramble effectively, and he definitely is athletic and can run the ball. But it was a case where I just don't think he was necessarily designed for this system with this. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, that's just how it is sometimes, but I, I think, yeah, that, 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 that's what I would say. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with him. I think, you know, off the top of my head, is this the third, fourth quarterback that Georgia state has had that's transferred since coach Elliott got here? Cause you had Walker Lyle um, now quad, obviously one, if you want to capture Mill switching to outside linebacker, which <laughs> doesn't really count, but I guess that's like a half, half point. Hey. Yeah, Which, I, I, I suppose. I don't like in the it, totally extreme circumstances where Darren cannot play and McKeeley can't play. I wonder if the backup backup plan is like just having Jamil run a bunch of just quarterback runs as the offense. Um, but I hopefully that's not a situation that the coaches have had to figure out. I'm just spitballing out here looking at random scenarios, but I, I part of it just there was a change at, at offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, each of the people's play, the player specific 
difference. So I think that you could probably, it's not just about fit with Coach Glenn's scheme. I'm sure there's other stuff at play. But it's also just the nature of quarterbacks in college football in this era. It's just, if you're not playing that position where only one can play at a time and where starters are pretty entrenched, it just makes sense for you personally, the college football quarterback, to go somewhere where you can play. And so I definitely understand the rationale from the guys. And I think that Georgia State just hasn't existed in an era of college football where that hasn't been the landscape. And so I think that there's a chance Georgia State gets their three-year, four-year starter. And you know, Darren technically, I think, has two more years after this if he were to take a COVID year. And I'm not sure that's how it'll play out. We'll see. But I just don't think Georgia State's had the history there to where it was eras where you had a lot of four-year starters. And so I think it there's not a huge chance Georgia State's just going to luck into that and have a run of just quarterbacks who stay for these multiple years. I think part of it is just the reality of college football where the guys who play are going to stay and the guys who don't aren't. And you're just going to have to adapt. And that's going to mean making sure that your quarterback room is restocked heading into 2022. So moving on to the next part of this week's podcast, basketball is back. Specifically, men's basketball has their first exhibition Friday at 7 p.m. versus Clayton State in the GSU Sports Arena. And then next Tuesday, the first uh, regular season game versus Bruton Parker. Uh, again, that's Tuesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. That game will be on ESPN Plus. Uh, no TV for the Clayton State game. But uh, yeah, season getting off to a start here. What what are you guys drawn to looking at these first couple games? Well, uh, we have uh, an interview uh, that we have not released yet with Coach Lanier that we're going to put out. Maybe by the time you listen to this, I don't really know the timing on that. But the one thing we learned about the team is that Elio Sisseme may or may not be 100% at the start of the season. They might not be playing with him. And one of the things that I was interested in anyway, because we knew Joe Jones was hurt, was how the front court was going to shake out with the rotation. And so if they're playing it safe with Eliel and he's not playing as well, I'm definitely going to be seeing where the bigs, how that division of labor goes because I think we know Jalen's a pretty known commodity. I think his play is helped by LEL being out there also. So I'm interested to see if it is just Jalen out there, how that changes, because I think that they complement each other really well. And so I think ideally you do have both those guys out there at the same time as starters, but interested to see what young guy in the front court is taking another step and see you know, what the experimentations are and who they play together and what the lineups end up being. If this subtly means they're going to Joe small without LEL in available. Uh, and yeah, just in general, the experimentations of using these games, you know, you can't take any game for granted, but we're not going to sit here and say that Georgia state should be playing close with Clayton state or Bruton Parker at all. So assuming that they can do what they need to, to win these games, interested to see, how they use them as far as testing out different lineups going into the bulk of the schedule. Yeah, I always love uh, the early parts of the basketball season because I think that it, you know, Coach Hunter did this and definitely Coach Lanier has done this. You know, they're just emptying the bench and just you're getting your first look uh, at whatever you can get out of guys. I think it was this period where my unabashed love for, uh, 
Josh Linder was developed um, in one of those early season games. Um, shout out to wherever Josh is or whatever he's doing. College of Charleston game. Got a double-double. Yes. yes, exactly. You remember. Um, I think this is also where the uh, kind of the lore of uh, Jeff Thomas and uh, Demarcus Simons came into play. But, you know, this isn't a, re, you know, a history podcast. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm looking to see. Obviously, by Sunbelt play, you know, the rotations will be a lot tighter and, you know, you'll see kind of who kind of shakes out where. And if there's an injury, hopefully not. But if there is, you know, you'll have to see who's going to be that next man that steps up. But, I mean, you know, it's always exciting to see, you know, kind of what the five is going to be to start and kind of who's going to be the first person off the bench. Because I think this is as deep a Georgia State team as we've seen in the last couple of years. And I feel like we say that every year and every year they kind of showcase that level of depth, you know, but I mean, they're getting Nelson back. They, you know, Again, I'm not going to list everybody. I'm just going to say Nelson because I could be here all day, but, you know, just seeing kind of the rotations that Coach Lanier goes through, just kind of seeing, you know, what skill set guys have and what, you know, what they've been working on, you know, how some kind of the new guys look. And, you know, if uh, I'm going to put him on the spot, if Devin Mitchell's, uh, claim that uh, Chin Hao Ma is, you know, as good as he says he is. Like, that's going to be something that I'm looking to see specifically out of these first couple of games. Yeah, just the new faces. I mean, that's the cliche answer, but interested what the freshmen do, interested what Jordan Rawls brings. Just because we've seen a lot of stuff from them, just on what we've been able to glean in available film from, you know, high school or in Rawls' case at Western Kentucky. but. You don't really know until you see them in the uniform that of Georgia State, and so I guess see how it shakes out. But yeah, I I, I think that Jaheim Hudson maybe has the opportunity just because of that maybe injury to Lel, where he might be getting more minutes just because there are only so many people in the front court. So I, I don't know if we're gonna see as much of. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know how much Corey or Kane are going to play if they want to get regular minutes or if they're going to play like 15 and call it quits. But I guess the last thing I'd say is you know, we've heard and seen a lot about how they have upped their game. And I'm definitely still interested to see how those two super seniors, like the new versions of them, because. Like we've said, if they're hitting this new peak, like we've heard, then it really just continues to raise the ceiling of this team and it. it they're going to be the guys on which uh, the back of which Georgia State's getting to another NCAA tournament berth. So one more thing before we get you guys out of here this week, we did have some listener questions. Always fun to get those. First up from Kendrick. How long does it take Helton to write the ship at the school that created football? Referring, of course, to Georgia Southern hiring Clay Helton, former coach of Southern California today as of recording this podcast. Uh, gentlemen, thoughts on that? Well, we know he's got a five-year contract, or that's what's been reported. And it's Benko's guy, so he's going to have time. Like, the AD is going to have his back, and he'll be able to sort out. And Like, they aren't necessarily the, the traditional flexbone recruits like they have been, but I don't think they're going to stay in any kind of system like they've run before, and I don't know that they've got the current roster for whatever offensive system clay Helton's going to run and so like we don't know how coaching hires work out i was i was skeptical with the name because the problem with clay helton at usc has been pretty documented that just like he got left behind by schools he shouldn't have in recruiting and so 
if Georgia Southern is trying to compete and win, recruiting is going to be the biggest thing. And if that's where he's deficient, that's going to be a problem for them. But like, no matter what, I think it's going to be at least a rough 2022, maybe 2023. I mean, it may be not unlike what Arkansas State's going through, where they're just kind of working through some roster turnover, needing to reinvigorate the roster. And so it's going to be testing because we know that fan base is very loud. We know that they are very unhappy with failure. And, uh, you know, right now we haven't seen what hires he's made, what transfer moves he's made, what recruiting he has been able to do. But it's going to be pretty tested. Like if they're staring at back to back two, three win seasons, whatever, that's not been shown to be something they're comfortable with. And so you know, for for his sake... <laughs> I I hope that you know Benko really really has his back because I I think that if it gets past like say 2023 and they're still working through transition the detractors are going to get very loud down in Statesboro. Yeah, I'm curious to see how he's going to recruit there. Um I think that's going to be first and foremost where you look to see how that situation is going. Um, you know, even if the on-field performance doesn't match the recruiting, I know it's a pretty tough place to recruit there just given the offense, but I also know that he's probably not going to run the offense that makes it tough to recruit there. Um, so I don't know. Truthfully, I don't know. I don't want to kind of knock it down because I think we were a little a little critical of the Terry Bowden hire and it's working out. Yeah, someone, someone on Twitter today I was seeing was basically like, I'm stopping doing grades on coaching hires because we don't know it's all a crapshoot. And I w- I've been wrong on all the ones that I thought were pretty bad recently. And it's like, well, one of them was Terry Bowden. Like, I think a lot of people were skeptical. And it's so far, it's doing exactly what they could have hoped it to be. So I guess we will see how that goes. I will say that if it was Georgia State making that hire, I would probably have some questions about it. But even particularly more so for, you know, he's going from... Los Angeles and one of the more blue bloody programs in America and just all you know, he has everything he could wish for basically running that program to Statesboro, Georgia. It's just a completely different place and it's a different place to recruit to. He hasn't been in the South since 2009 when he was at Memphis. And so it's a world he's sort of been in before, but not in a while. And I just, I have questions. I'm not sold on it. And, you know, as as far as Georgia State's concerned, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But we'll see how that hire goes. And, yeah, I, I think that the uh, the question is correct to suggest that there's a ship that needs to be righted and it's not going to happen overnight. And so there's definitely going to be some anxiousness for from those fans for it to recover fast and i guess we're just gonna have to see how that goes all right and our last question of this week comes from carlos who asks does this three-game streak give the team momentum to knock off louisiana so yes uh the panthers have had a three-game winning streak in football right now going into number four or number four going into number 24 ranked louisiana at a cajun field on thursday gentlemen thoughts I think so. I really think so. Because, you know, even if you look at the way that the defense is played, and I'll talk about them specifically, the defense hasn't played perfect by any stretch of the imagination the last couple of games. But they're averaging 17 points given up in their three-game win streak. And that's important. 
I don't really care if they gave up almost 500 yards to Georgia Southern. I don't really care that, you know, ULM got that, you know, garbage time touchdown. I, you know, I just know what I've seen and I've seen a defense that has found a way to do enough. You know, obviously this will be the hardest game that Georgia state has played since that app state game, you know, make no mistake about it. But with the way that the offense is humming right now and with the way that the defense has been able to get turnovers, which is something that they couldn't do early in the season, and with the way that the offense has not turned the ball over in the three-game stretch, I just think this is really a good opportunity for them to kind of come into the game as hot as they possibly could have expected given where they started the season. Yeah, I mean, confidence is the biggest part of any sport. You know, at just the base level... If guys aren't playing confident, they're not going to perform well because they're going to have doubts in their mind. They're going to be, you know, expecting the worst. And so winning games is the only, you know, certified way to fix confidence issues if those were going on. And so, yeah, I think Coach Elliott likened it to them being able to just about lift their head over water and see what's off in the distance. You know, the goals that they're looking to achieve, they're not necessarily... You know, they're at 500 and they've got these two tough games coming up. So the work is still to be done, but I think it gives you a chance coming into this game. Whereas I think any of those three losses because of who it was, or especially with Texas state being a home game, I think that one would have hurt or losing to your rival who you have a better record than, and you think you're a better team than this year could have had the ability to hurt confidence and could make you doubt yourself in a situation where you need to go in and say you're going to be the better team because Louisiana's not going to be bothered about, you know, what, you know, record, anything like Louisiana can beat you. And so I think I agree. I think it matters. I don't know how much it's not like because you've won these games, you're suddenly going to win this one because Louisiana is a better team than the teams you just played. But it just felt like Georgia state needed something to start going their way earlier in the season. And the Auburn loss was followed by a disappointing loss. And so it felt like everything started compounding in that way. And so when it's going the other way and you're winning games, it feels like you're building towards something. And, you know, like we never tire of saying as long as it's relevant, still tied for first in the Sunbelt East bowl game is still out there to be had. And so got to turn that momentum into wins. I mean, frankly, I know Georgia state fans out there need to see Georgia state beat a team like Louisiana or next week against coastal. It's something that Georgia state hasn't really managed to do yet. And so I think now is the time you've got some wins you put together. You're feeling better. Like David said, the defense is playing as well as they have all year stopping points, getting on the board. And yeah, I I just think it should, hopefully you can make it matter, make it stick. Let's make the Sun Belt get really weird by keeping Georgia State way in this conference race than they, longer than they should be. Granted, they would have to win this and go beat Coastal, but come on, let's let's get really weird, yeah. Sun Belt. It's been too clean so far this year. And on the way out of this week's episode, of course, we're going to have to hit some sports bits real quick. Thursday, tomorrow, as of posting this podcast, men's soccer hosts Georgia Southern in Atlanta at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. And football travels, of course, to Louisiana Lafayette for a 7.30 kickoff broadcast on ESPN and WRAS-FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Friday, 
Saturday and Sunday, men's tennis will be at the Georgia Tech Invitational just up the road in Atlanta. Friday, softball hosts the Blue and White World Series Game 3 at the Bob Heck Softball Complex at 6 p.m. Volleyball travels to Appalachian State in Boone at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Men's basketball opens their season with an exhibition match versus Clayton State in the sports arena at 7 p.m. That game will be on WRAS FM 88.5, again with Dave Cohen. And then Sunday, in addition to men's tennis at the Georgia Tech Invitation, we've got a softball doubleheader at Mercer in Macon at 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. And then volleyball travels to Coastal Carolina for a noon matchup with the Chanticleers, and that will be on ESPN+. Monday and Tuesday, women's golf will be at the Mercer Idle Hour Collegiate Championship in Macon. And then Tuesday evening, women's basketball travels to Gainesville, Florida to face the Florida Gators at 5 p.m. And men's basketball opens their regular season by hosting Bruton Parker College in the sports arena at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus and WRAS FM 88.5. That's going to be it for Sports Bits this week. Thanks so much for listening to the Thursday Night Podcast. Hope you have a fantastic week and go Panthers. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.